It's always a privilege to celebrate. How many of you would agree? How many of you like good celebrations? And we, I want to take the opportunity, one of the speaker's privileges to celebrate with you, Anne, and the welcome. How many of you work in the well or healing at some time? Just stand up. Have you been part of that journey over the last 10 years? Just stand up. We want to honour and celebrate your investment in Leamington Spa. Thank you so much for what you've been doing. Please be seated. Because it takes people to dig hard. How many of you know? And open wells. And we just, what a privilege to be able to celebrate. If you want to find out more about Heart Cry, Heart Cry for Change, there is a Facebook. But I'm going to introduce you to some of my family. People who know me know that I usually show you. So just flick through them for me. This is four generations of trouble. This is my mum, she's 81. My little granddaughter, Leela, my daughter, Nicola, and then me. My granddaughter is Australian. I grew up in India. My mum lives in America, and Nicola married an Australian. So we've trying to take over the world. <laughs> the next one. This is my son with his wife, Jenny. They live in Peterborough, just well, Thorny, just outside Peterborough, and they're expecting their first baby. So I'm going to be a grandmother of four by September. And I've just come back from Australia because there was great expectations. <laughs> and she was born. And her name... I Personally, I think that picture should be banned because Nicola was only given birth an hour ago. And how many of you wished you looked like that an hour after birth? <laughs> so we celebrate life. Little Elani Isler Grace. I've had to learn very hard. My grandson, who's called Cooper, we come from Oxford, so he's my mini Cooper. And um, he always looks at me and says, Nanny, you don't say it very well. I said, I'm practicing Cooper. <laughs> but what a privilege to come, especially this time of year, to celebrate life. Think about Jesus, all that he's done. And certainly in Oxford, we're celebrating life in spring because we've been under quite a lot of water. Um, I have a wonderful chocolate Labrador and I was taking walking over the fields and it became more swimming than walking. And I, one day I suddenly realized we better give up the fields as he was trying to haul his various legs out. And in the end, he just gave up and sort of did this mud tummy slide through the fields and had decided he could not be bothered to walk any longer. But just driving up here and just seeing all the fields, bright green, little lambs springing, and you just think, what an incredible thing creation is. What an incredible gift God has given to us. And so I want us to turn to Psalm 103, and we're going to use this as our sort of base scripture tonight. Oh, I've been, I'm usually bad at doing this. We have bought books and resources. Helen has selected two for me to give away. One pathway of peace. There's a selection of different devotionals, but 
Um, this one has been used again and again, just for people going through anxious times. How many of you know we need to brainwash our mind into what Jesus says at times? And just hearing what God says about how he will make your way, give you hope, bring you peace. And so, little sweeter, I want to give that one to you. Then Helen and I have written a book together and some people just thought, oh no, don't go there again. But we called it Release My Frozen Assets. And I think I can say it here, but in America, in particularly in one conference, it became a very fast-selling book, especially by all the men, and I couldn't understand. And then I realized they thought it was a book on sex to get their woman to stop being frigid. <laughs> But actually, <laughs> it's a book that Helen and I wrote, really looking at the whole role of women in the church. And you might say, oh, Rachel, don't go there. It's exhausting. It's annoying. It's whatever. But we've had a look at the whole area of the pastoral skills, how we can be mothers and fathers, and also an in-detail look at some of those theological scriptures that don't seem to make sense because on face value, they say, don't, yet you feel the call too. And people have even maybe prophesied or encouraged you to speak. And you say, you're thinking, well, where, how does this all work out in the scheme of life? If there is confusion, you'd like to really have an authentic foundation of what the Bible says. Helen, the brainy bit is written by Helen. The pastoral bit is written by me. I live in Oxford. Helen went to Oxford. There's a slight difference. <laughs> and hence the writing. She went to Wycliffe Theology. She understands theology and she's really gone to the original text of those scriptures. And we read for a year. I read everything from the most liberal stuff to the most conservative stuff. Stuff I don't like, stuff I knew would irritate me. A few books ended at the wall and I had to pick them up again. But it was good to stretch and understand. And we've tried to represent the different views and say, these people believe this, these people believe that. So that you can understand some of the background. It's not a huge book, but hopefully it covers a lot of stuff. And I know some people have found it helpful. Please give it away. This little one is um, the three books of devotional books put onto a USB so that you can have them in the car, on your iPad. You can do it on however many machines you want. I want a mum who does a lot of driving with children. Here you go. There you go, Helen. Thank you. I'm always scared if I run too far off the platform, I'll sort of blow the speakers and they'll all go weird on you. So can we read Psalm 103? One, two, three from the screen. One, two, three. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles everyone say amen you ready to go home <laughs> i mean when you read that passage of scripture you can celebrate life you think god is good god has been good to me you know god lifts us up god fills us with an audacious hope 
And then he enables us to live life well. You know, I believe this season as we come to Easter, it is such a season to just press pause and celebrate the goodness of life. And know he really is my redeemer. Jesus is amazing. And what an incredible life we celebrate. So what is this life? Back one, we're going quite fast. What is this life? Well, this life, L4, come on, you can read with me, lifts us into his love. The I4 inspires us with hope. F frees us from captivity. E enables us to live eternity. It lifts, it inspires, it frees, it enables. What an incredible life. But sometimes, and maybe you've come tonight, you don't actually feel your life is so amazing. Maybe you're looking at your life and thinking, I wasn't expecting to be looking at my life through this window at this season of my life. Maybe you feel you're in one of those time zones where life is more endured than enjoyed. We all have those seasons of conflict. And then we so life, amazing life, come to give me life. And, and you sort of think, yeah, but Rachel, live in my world. <laughs> you know, come be in my home. My kids, my teenagers, my husband, my dog, whatever. You know, you don't understand. But I think one of the things that God is waking us up to is the ability to celebrate life in the tough place. How many of you have worked out that the life of God in you works in the good in the bad, and even the ugly. And part of the grace of our walk of life with Jesus is learning how to do life well in all seasons and all circumstances. And that even when life should be, as it were, endured, we can still find a joy in the difficult season. And that's more difficult, more challenging many times. We come to this scripture in John chapter 10, verse 10. It's a scripture we know well, but I've put two translations here because I just want to draw something out. This is maybe the more familiar New International Version. Read it with me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now look, New the New Living Translation, and read this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And when you look at that, how many of you can see you've immediately got two opposing worldviews? You've got the enemy on one side. He says, my purpose, my mandate... My job description, can you imagine giving yourself the job description, is to rob, steal, and kill people's lives. And Jesus stands up and says, "Uh uh-oh, no, my purpose is to give them life, rich, satisfying life. So already there's a wrestling going on. How many of you have sensed that wrestling? And you feel you're in the middle and you can feel the enemy saying, rob, steal, kill, destroy. But there's another sound saying, no, rich, satisfying, amazing. 
And that's what we have to understand. As we come and celebrate life, you know, life isn't just a thing that begins to breathe in us when we're born as little babies, but it is something then that we have to make life choices for to upgrade it all the time. And so often we just settle for, well, I'll just do a bit of life. But Jesus didn't say, I came to just make sure you breathe. Jesus didn't come to just say, I make sure that you have a nice average middle. He said, no, I've come to give you an upgraded, rich, satisfying life so that something from the inside can genuinely say, yay, satisfied. How many of you say, that's what I want? That's the cry I want. But then on the other hand, we have got this wrestle. And so I believe that God is looking for women to be very intentional and say, we're going to be winners in the season of life. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm going to get better. God, I'm going to ask you the worship that Jill led. You know, again and again, it was, well, come to the cross and see something bigger than you. And realize that the enemy's plan against you is personal, but so is God's. Isn't that amazing? He might be very personal to rob, kill, destroy, but so is God. Just as personal. I've loved you, chosen you, and I've got a purpose for you. Rich, satisfying, amazing life. So let's look at a little bit more detail. Life lifted into love. Life lifted into love. And I'm going to just use that Psalm 103 as my base. Verses 3 and 4, here we read. Read it with me. He forgives all my sin and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. How many of you have made some mistakes? How many of you are so glad that Jesus forgives poor choices? He says, I forgive all your sins. I think most of us, if we're really honest, are very good at counseling or helping other people forgive themselves and very bad at forgiving ourselves. Would you say that's true? Most of us can rehearse certain memories where we think, that wasn't good. How many of you have got that? If we're mothers, you might have those memories when you lost it with one of your children. I mean, my son is now 26, my daughter's 30. But I've, st- I've got one memory in my kitchen when as the pastor's wife coming home, preached all day, of course I was the angel next God and I walked in and I lost it. Anyone ever done that? <laughs> and you sort of, it was like, And I remember that because I remember Nicola's little face going, whoa, what are you on, (laughs) mum? And I wasn't clever and it wasn't right. And I felt bad because I watched her little face go, whoa, you're scary. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But you see, he forgives all. So we've got to come into alignment with his attitude. Jesus says, forgive him. Sometimes it takes huge courage to say, I agree with God, I am forgiven. We often focus a lot on forgiving others and releasing others. But I want to challenge you tonight, just as Jesus has forgiven all my sins, will you forgive all your sins? 
all your mistakes, your poor words. This wonderful Jesus, not only does he rescue us and lift us up, but he also restores us to hope. We see here he redeems me for death, but he doesn't just rescue me by the skin of my teeth. He then crowns me, restores me. How many of you would say that's true? That he didn't just bring you back to zero. He then increased you. He crowns you with his love. Jill, I think during the worship, underscored this word of love. You see, he lifts you up with incredible love. He loves that incredible love of God can heal your souls, heal your identity. I love 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 to about 7, where it just describes love and then it finishes it. Love never fails. Whatever the challenge you feel are to God, love never fails. Love never fails. And as you receive this gift of the total undeserving love of God, the total forgiveness of God, healing begins to happen. He heals all my diseases. Some of us don't have physical disease in our body, but we've got disease of our emotions. There's triggers that just are ugly and we don't like that part because we've got disfigured on the inside because we got hurt. But he says, I heal all the diseased part of your thinking, of your emotions and of your body. I heal you from the inside out. He reverses every curse of the devil and where death has marked us so that we can't live to the full life of who we are, he says, no, I've come to forgive, to heal, to redeem from all death, all death. Those parts where fear has just frozen you and you know, you sometimes hear it. Well, I just died. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Great expectations, but some of you just died, pulled back. He says, no, I redeem you from death. I crown you with love and tender mercy. This year for me is a very special year. In 1984 in Zimbabwe, I was run over by a, road tra- um, by a military truck in a road traffic accident. And so in October 2014, it is my 30-year celebration of coming back to life. Isn't Jesus good? If we put up the picture, you see, God rescues us and redeems us. This was me after being discharged from hospital. In hospital, I was in a coma for five days where they expected me to die because I had multi-fat embolisms in my brainstem. Basically, fat had got into the brainstem, clogs up your whole of your um, circulatory system, and you usually die, especially in Africa with not a lot of support. But after five days of serious prayer by some wonderful Zimbabwean church, God woke me up. And believe it or not, they declare me brain normal. My kids don't quite believe it. (laughs) But they gave me a certificate. So if anyone challenges me, I'd like to see yours. (laughs) 
but I came discharged from that hospital. And this is quite a few months on. And, you know, I was carrying a great sense of, well, Jesus can heal me. Jesus can heal me. Because, I mean, I just about had a funeral arranged for me and I was alive. And I thought it would happen next week. It was nearly four years. There's another little picture here. That's my little girl who's now the beautiful mum of the baby you saw. So she was about um, 11 weeks when we had the accident. Here she's just over a year, I think. And I remember many times sitting on that chair thinking, come on, God, heal me. And I remember him saying at different times, but I am. And I'm thinking, well, the consultant, um, oh, what's the orthopedic surgeon doesn't think so. And um, because every time I went, they said, no, maybe we're going to have to do bone grafting. And then one day I said, God, what do you mean you are healing me? And he said this, he said, Rachel, I want to heal you from the inside out. There are areas of your life that have got crippled. You see, I went to a boarding school and it was pretty rough. I was bullied. There were a lot of seasons of my life where I had been run over, but not by necessarily a military truck as was the final one. And God got hold of me. He said, I want to heal you from the inside out. I want to forgive all your sin and your poor reactions to it. I want to heal all the brokenness as a result. I want to redeem you from all the places you've gone and hidden. And I want to lift you up and crown you with success. And I suddenly realized that that wheelchair became a place of healing for me. And then I ended up in the Philippines. I was just about back on my legs in a meeting when a preacher came down and said, is there something wrong with your legs? And I said, yes, my right leg. And that right leg had been very severely broken. And even though I was sort of on sticks and could wait there for some time, it was still, I had to walk over the top. It was very much shorter, very internally rotated. And he just laid hands on me and he prayed for me. I felt nothing. And so there was part of me going, oh, Jesus, I can't go through this again. Anyone been there? Can't face it again. I I, I need to know something's going to happen. And then he asked me, take your shoes off. And as I took my shoes off, both my heels hit the ground and I could walk totally normally. And to this day, I could jump, wait, bear, wear heels. Totally, totally normal. Jesus absolutely healed my legs. You see, this life of Jesus will rescue and it will restore. So what about this life to inspire hope? Life, L, lifts me up with love. I, inspires with hope. Again, if we look at our base scripture of Psalm 103 verse 5, it says this, He fills my life with good things. Read it with me. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Why don't you just say that as a blessing over yourself tonight? Just say it one. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like eagles. 
Some of you might be saying, well, I saw my youth a long time ago. But we often hear the saying, age is in the mind. (laughs) And I've met people that are maybe 30, but they look like 100. How many of you know what? Because you see, if you lose hope and you lose expectation, you get old. I read this saying once. If your memories outweigh your dreams, you have indeed grown old. And there are times in life when we get frightened of looking forward. We get frightened of anticipating. You know, don't dream too much. You'll only get disappointed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see, those sorts of attitudes make us old. And here... The psalmist says, oh, he fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like he eagles. And he wants to lift us up and stretch us out and give us big picture again. How many would agree? That's a picture of an eagle. You see, he wants to renew that life and reawaken your purpose. He says, don't get stuck with the wrong mindset. Don't get stuck with the wrong picture. He says, come on, I want to fill you with good things. I want to reawaken the purpose in you. An eagle has an amazing ability to see the big picture. But also the minute detail on that big landscape. You know, it amazes me way up there and they can beam right in and grab the little mouse. I believe that as God reawakens hopes and dreams, as you begin to soar with the Holy Spirit and let him begin to show you the big picture, but your little part in the middle of it, suddenly as you're being able to see beyond yourself, you get young again. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's something that happens in the spirit of God that suddenly you think, I've got something to give. I can stretch beyond who I am. The wonderful things we live in Oxford, work a lot with students. They all believe they'll change the world. There's something in youth that believes they'll make a difference, leave a legacy. And sometimes life then shuts us down. But I believe tonight, God says, come on. I want to inspire you with hope again. This is a season for great expectation. I just felt as I was praying that God wants to give you a fresh vision of the impact your life can make. And as you're able to stretch those wings and look out into your community, your neighborhood, your schools, those around you and see the big picture And as it were, the little mice, the little sheep, the little people in that world, you'll be amazed at what you can do. I had the privilege of going up just outside Lancaster to a place called Preston, Lancaster, a little place called Ribble Valley. And I was ministering to a very small church plant. They had about 75 people and I did their morning service and they said to me, But we wonder if you'd be willing to stay for the afternoon and just be there for our women. So I said, yes. They said, it's a new estate. It's one of the most deprived in our area. But we've really felt we need to go pamper these women and show them a bit of Jesus. And so we're going to do a princess tea. And we just wondered if you could speak for 20 minutes on the identity that that they have and how Jesus loves them. 
So I said, that's fine. And so 100 women turned up to a church of 75. They were quite challenged, a bit stressed. But it was the most amazing time. But right at the back was a, quite a big lady, maybe 350 pounds or sitting in one of those motorized scooters that looked more like a weapon than a wheelchair. You, you know what I mean? And she had a bit of attitude and you, were just, you knew, just don't get in my face or in my space. And once I finished speaking, I just went up to her and I just said, could I pray with you? Because I like people in wheelchairs because I've been there. And so we were chatting a little bit and I just laid my hand on her and began to pray. And I can't repeat exactly what she said because it wouldn't be appropriate, but it went something like beep, 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 um, what the, mm, uh, mm, uh, is this? And so I said, what do you mean? She said, well, it's like you It's like when you fry an egg and you drop it into the fat and it begins to spit on you. She said, that's happening all on my skin. Get it off, she's going. Get the mm, out of it off here. And she's got a lot of adjectives, which I couldn't use. And I could see she was quite distressed. I looked at her and I said, sweetie, I promise you one thing. I'm not doing anything. But what I did do is I asked Jesus to heal you. And you told me you've got MS. And if I understand something about MS, it's to do with the nerves. And maybe if things are coming back to life, your feeling is a bit out of whack at the moment, but maybe it'll come good. So just let's hold it. Anyway, she scooted off. I didn't hear anything. Nine months later, I get an invite to go back up this church. And they said, oh, well, we've taken over Starbucks in the town. It's got about space for about 200 because they want to hear your story with Liz. So I said, what story with Liz? They said, you know Liz, Liz on the wheelchair. I said, oh, yes. Well, what's the story? <laughs> and they said, oh, didn't we tell you? I know. <laughs> And this was the story. Apparently, she went shot out of that place, drove home. When she got home, she looked for a walker, which she always would put next to her, and it wasn't there. So she's now sitting in the car thinking, how do I get to my front door? Because she whizzes her scooter into the back of her car, picks up the walker to drive, but it wasn't there. So now she's thinking, is it better to walk to the back of the car to try and get it and then walk? And she decided, no, I must have walked. How did I get? So in, she decided she'll walk to the front door. Well, her husband opens the door and he nearly passes out. (laughs) But to cut a long story short, over the next two weeks, she just practiced walking. Until at the end of two weeks, she walked to a local co-op and did a shopping and was able to walk home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But then, here's just interesting. She, again, I can't use exactly her language, but as she described it to me as a new Christian, she said, but then after that, for three weeks, I went to bed, slept for 20 hours, and then woke up. Had four hours and she gave me a lot of detail of her bathroom, her toilet, her eating, etc. For four hours, then went back to bed. And she said, for 21 days, I slept for 20 hours. Then woke up, had four and slept for 20. Isn't that amazing? And she said, when I woke up, 
And I hope you're not offended, but I just think it describes it beautifully. She said, I suddenly thought it's like God took a toilet brush right through my brain and cleaned out all the crap. (laughs) That's her not so elegant way of saying I got healed in my mind. Isn't that amazing? And then she said, I realized that when I was... Nine, I've been really abused. Thirteen, I made an internal vow. I want to get fat. I want to get sick. I want to be ugly. Then they'll leave me alone. She said, by 19, I had MS. I was fat. I was sick. Ugly in a wheelchair. And everyone left me alone. But Jesus inspired hope in her that day you know today she's employed as the community worker and she goes around you see that eagle has stretched she's seen her community she's not just out the chair doing life of her she is radically infectious and spreading a virus of jesus all around that house against today isn't that awesome god he inspires hope You see, this is a God who rescues, he restores, he renews, and he reawakens. And he wants to do it for you. So what about the F? L, lift into love. I, inspired with hope. F, free from captivity. Again, let's look at our scripture Psalm 103, and I chose verse 4 for this. Read it with me. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns your love and compassion. You see, he frees you from death or the pit. Slightly different translations. You see, I believe God so wants to release your life into freedom. Different things contain us. And we fall down a pit. How many of you have ever fallen down a pit? And you just suddenly think, I'm all shut in in a dark place. And it doesn't feel very good. And sometimes we don't even know quite how we got there. And sometimes we certainly don't know how to get out. But this is the wonderful thing about God. He wants to release your life into true freedom. He knows how to find you. He knows how to help you get out. But sometimes we have to have the courage to face some facts and really begin to realize, actually, I've fallen down a pit. My very small, dark life isn't actually normal life. It isn't the life that Jesus really wants to give me. And that truth and the light has to come on. And you see, there are moments in our life when we have to... Have a little analysis. Let the truth come and acknowledge what is holding me back. What is crushing me? What are the thought processes, my ways of thinking, my mindsets that actually are robbing me of this life? You know, is there an enemy that is very subtly robbing, killing, destroying my life? And somehow I've just made an agreement with him without even realizing, oh, well, I'm no good. Sometimes we make internal vows and we don't even realize we've done them. Just like Liz. Well, I'm going to be fat, ugly and sick. She didn't even realize really what she'd done. You know, sometimes we make vows like this. I'll never trust again. 
or I'll never let people get close to me or I'm not going to have children. Just, and they seem a bit random, but out of a point of pain, we just dig a hole for ourselves. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But Jesus comes right into those pits and he puts the lights on. I've discovered that love is an amazing atmosphere for you to flourish. But as you read the Bible, it isn't love that sets you free. It is truth. And so if you read John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you see, love is that amazing atmosphere that positions you, but truth is the amazing power that delivers you. And so we get this scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. How many of you know this? Can you read it with me? Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Now, unfortunately, this scripture can get a bit abused and overused in church. And you get someone come right into your face. I'm going to speak the truth in love. And you think, I can't quite discern the love, but I feel very scared. (laughs) You see, we speak truth with no real love. It can wound. How many of you know that's true? Even if it is the truth, it can still be very wounding. But if we just create a huge atmosphere of love, but never being truth, it can be deceptive. Because people end up in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. Oh, but I love you too much to correct you. But God, Jesus, is so amazing that he loves us enough to correct us and help us really live life well. The enemy comes to rob, steal, kill, destroy. And it's very subtle sometimes. We don't even realize that we've just slightly moved off the best, got in a pit, withdrawn. When I was 17, 18, just because of all the bullying that I'd experienced at school, I just decided that the library was the best place. Everyone would have said I was a very good girl. My school grades were amazing. I wanted to do medicine. And everyone thought, look at that amazing girl, because my life dream was to be a medical missionary working with leprosy-affected people in Prokhra Shining Hospital in India. So everyone's going, wow. But do you know that was my pit? Because you see, I got so intimidated by people, so bullied. I'll be drawn and just decided I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to let people near me. I'm just going to go to the library because in the library, there's always a member of staff. So you're a bit safer and you can't talk. And I suddenly realized that although it looked so good, it had become a pit. How many of you get what I'm saying? And God had to go in there and find me and say, I want you out (laughs) because I've created you. To talk. I always feel sorry for my dear husband. He married someone who was quite quiet, shy, etc. He's now, after 33 years, got a girl out the box. <laughs> but you see, God wants us out of our pits. And some of them we've now nicely talked ourselves into how reasonable and acceptable it is. 
But when we're in an atmosphere like this, it's like, uh-oh, oh, don't go there. Leave me alone. Rachel, you're really irritating me. I've had it all sorted. The truth comes in, the light comes in, and we suddenly realize, actually, this life, I need to be free from every captivity. And Jesus does that because he's amazing. You see, this life will rescue, restore, it will renew and reawaken you, but then it will utterly release you to live a great life. And so finally, the E. L lifted into love, I inspired by hope, free from all captivity, E enabled to live for eternity. What an amazing thing to live forever. You know, as we come to Easter, I often think about Easter and I think, what do we celebrate in this amazing life? In the more Anglican tradition, we're used to turning to one another and saying, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And we tend to emphasize the fact that actually God, Jesus has risen. Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but is that the really unique thing about Easter? I'd like to suggest maybe it isn't. Because you see, just a few days, weeks earlier, Lazarus had risen. If it's just he is risen full stop and we were having a competition, it might even be acceptable to suggest that Lazarus wins the contest because he had four days and rose and Jesus had three days and rose. So if it is just simply he is risen full stop, maybe Lazarus won. If you also read the stories as we do coming up to Easter time, We find in one of the accounts that it says, and many holy people, do you remember that account, were raised from the graves. And they didn't just sit up and then lie down again. It says, and they got up and went into the city. So if you were living in Jerusalem that time, it was like happy hour for getting out the grave. You know, Lazarus had done it a few weeks before. And then many holy people. I wonder how many is many. I mean, 10 would be enough to make a story at any time. But still, 10 doesn't feel like many. But it says many holy people were raised from their graves. You see, as Jesus was dying, he so broke death. Their holy people got released. So what is this incredible life given to us? Well, I haven't got time to preach it all, but just two distinctives maybe can irritate you as you ponder over Easter. Number one, the life of Jesus is amazing because you can give it away. It's the only life that's transferable. Lazarus couldn't give you his life, no one else, but he is risen and gives you life. Maybe would be a better recall. Because there are many documented risings from the dead, but no one else could give you life to live life. Romans chapter 8 says, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now living, resonating, vibrating in me. Isn't that an amazing life? He is risen and now he's flowing through me. And of course, the other one is Jesus rose from the dead 
And there was never a second funeral. He lives forever. We don't know how Lazarus died later, but I'm sure they had double fees. (laughs) And so for all the others who were raised from the dead, I wonder what the insurance company would have done. Most probably act of God. (laughs) But Psalm 103 verses 1 to 2. You see, there's a cry that comes out of those that know their life that will go on forever and forever. Let's read this together. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I forget not all his benefits. You see, we're going to be part of that incredible choir of gratitude. Wow, God, you are holy. You are amazing. And there's a song inside of me that cannot but help but say, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. I celebrate you. I can't forget what you've done for me because you put your life in me and now I can live. He enables us to live life well. And we read in Revelation chapter 12. 10 to 12. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, read it with me. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. The the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. I wonder if you can see there that accuser who rob, kills, steals. He's finished. And how is he overthrown? Three things. The blood of this amazing Jesus. But also the word of our testimony. Again, I just want to sow a thought. How do you have a testimony? Well, it's the story that comes from a test. How many of you have been through a test? And you see, the power of that story that's come through a test that has put down the enemy that says, I'm going to rob, I'm going to steal, I'm going to kill from you. And you say, no, I'm going to live life, life more than abundantly. I have Jesus. As you take that blood of the lamb and it reverses the curse, you overturn, overcome, because out of your test, you have a story. But too many of us have a testimony. We moan our way through the test. And God says, stop the test moaning and start the test of story. Start a story in the test so that we can live as the overcomers. Why? Because it's time to celebrate life. We're going to be rescued, if we can have the last slide. We're going to be, we're going to celebrate knowing that we have been rescued. Read it. Restored renewed, reawakened, released, and we will rejoice 
and rehearse this story ever. Does that sound like a life we can celebrate? Isn't that amazing? Why don't we just say thank you, Jesus? Do come, Anne, and help us.